Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast, where we interview the most brilliant minds and connected hearts to discuss our shared passion for the transformation, the revolution, reimagining, and recreation of education in the Black community. My name is Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education and New York City High School teacher. And I'm Jamal Thomas, her partner and dad, education enthusiast, and we're, and your, we're your host. host. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, to enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Today, you're going to hear a fantastic conversation between myself, Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education, my co-founder, Jamal Thomas, and Miss Tiffany Jackson. This conversation talks about her path to becoming a master teacher, sharing her power with her students, and the process of becoming the kind of teacher that our kids need. This conversation set my soul on fire, and I hope it does absolutely the same for you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Black and Black Education podcast. As always, I shoot it right down to our guests so that you can tell people who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Okay. Hi, I'm Tiffany Jackson. I'm from Washington, D.C. That's a big deal to me. I'm a mom of two boys. Uh, I'm a master teacher and a critical thinker. And I do it because I just feel like all the kids are my kids, right? I've kind of always felt like that. And my classroom is where I get to pour into others the best. That's where I'm my best in my classroom. And so I, I teach exclusively, right? I teach. And that is the goal to continue that. So for the last 14 years, I've been teaching and kicking and hanging out and growing teenagers. And I just look forward to another 14 years of that. I absolutely, absolutely love it. And so we're going to kick the conversation off just talking about your work in the, in, in the classroom. So tell us a story of impact. Tell us a story of engagement. Tell us a story of, of just something that has brought you joy, happiness, excitement in your, in your 14 years of teaching. It's so many. I, I really just love that I get to tell people that like Black Black graduates and Black folks writing books and Black folks making music and raising kids and teaching and thriving and living in the city, right? Those are my chickens coming home to roost. I don't have to worry about something bad, you know, haunting me. There's no, there's no badness in what I do. But I will say, I don't know, maybe having one of my kids invite me to a TED Talk was like a big one. So one of my, one of my, well, I can't even call him my kid. He's my son. He told my kids that he was their older brother. He is my son. Amiri is my son. And he's at Brown right now. And they're doing this thing where they have like TED Talk University salons. It's something, right. And so of course, of course he gets the TED Talk because he's a baby genius. And then he like invites me to the TED Talk. And then at the end of it, when the people, you know, the the people are asking him, like, who does he want to thank and what does he want to do? And he's like, well, my mom is here. He was like, and my teacher is here. And she's the reason why I can, like, put together an argument and, like, put together my rhetoric. And I'm just like, boy, first of all, you was a whole genius when you got to me. 
I'm just glad you let me, you know, you let me in. And I, that was a big deal to me to feel like, because we always know that like our kids are going to change the world. But in that moment, he was actively doing it. And so I just, I got to be a witness to that. And also like all these people got to be a witness to the stuff I saw every day. Like, this is what class looked like, right? This is how he speaks to me in class. And it was a really, I just geeked out over the topic. I really just love, he created this analogy of like how playing the piano kind of changed his life and the keys are black and white and there's only 23 and you can make up all these new things but with this one little set of like keys and skills. And I was like, that's so damn smart. <laughs> and it just was clever and thoughtful and intense. And I just was just proud of him and just really full in that moment. And there's so many moments. So there's so many moments like that, that I think people don't understand it. That's what we get. I'm just glad, just like I said, like those are my chickens coming home to roost, like real good quality, thoughtful, powerful black kid magic stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I was excited to have this conversation as well. Like, you know, Eva pinged me um, and said, you know, we're going to have Tiffany Jackson on. I'm like, who's Tiffany Jackson? Um, and she's like, you know, she's one of the founding members of Black Girls Teach. I'm like, oh, we love Black Girls Teach. And um, then she's like, she's a master teacher. I'm like, a master teacher? And I'm like, wait, what's a master teacher? Um, so if you can help us understand, um, you know, exactly what a master teacher is, let, let, let's, uh, let's start there. Okay. Oh yeah, and shout out to shout out to Black Girls Teach. I, I am founding member, and right now, I guess what would Deidre tell y'all? I'm I'm the lead consultant for Black Girls Teach. Right? So, um, yeah, a master. Te- oh, a master teacher is a master teacher is initially someone where teaching is not a means to another end for them. Right? They are committed to teaching. And in that, you know, that the skill set of a master teacher is they're also they're a master synthesizer, right? Like they are are and nothing else able to take parts and create new holes, right? And to create systems that work specifically for a certain group of people because the system, you know, works for the people it's meant to serve. So a master teacher understands that like the system is supposed to serve the scholar, right? So there is like there is a decentering of the adult and. In, in a way that, you know, just, you know, I want to say most, but most teachers don't get that, right? Like, and you really aren't ever going to be able to tap into that if teaching is a means to another end, right? Um, so to me, a master teacher is is someone who has mastered the craft, the art, the science of teaching. They are committed to that career and that goal, and they have decentered um, themselves along with the host of other barriers to center the scholar, Whoever, you know, whoever that scholar is, whatever age that scholar is, um, or whatever level of mastery that scholar is at, um, because it could it could be different things. It could be, you know, teaching adults. Right. It could be teaching kids. It could be teaching kids who have grown from novice to expert, you know, whatever they're studying, because they can reach higher levels of thought even when they're young. So, I mean, to me, the master teacher understands that part of the craft and has taken the time to hone into their um, and so that while they are, you know, reaching a level of mastery as the facilitator, as the teacher, the scholars will ultimately, you know, achieve a level of mastery as the learner. Mm, I love that. And like me sitting here, one, you don't know how much I needed this because already six minutes into the conversation, I feel better than I did before I hopped on here. Um, I am not a master teacher. So let me just frame that. And I think that that's the first thing that so many educators in our system would benefit from being able to say and, and, and really just recognize. 
I'm not a master teacher. And then go further to say, do I want to become one? And if not, it might be time for me to find another profession. Um, because you you talking about that, I think about how many educators I've spoken to that are like, these kids are this. Like, I think as soon as you could say that these kids statement, we got some work that we got to do. Um, and so I, I, I love hearing about what it means to be a master teacher. And then I would love for you as someone who eventually wants to get there, I would love uh, for you to talk about what it feels like, uh, what it looks like and how it happens um, that you become a master teacher. What does that journey look like? I mean, it's, it's different for each person. I think some, some core pieces to it is, is a lot, there's a lot of unlearning, right? There's a lot of, of unlearning what we have been taught that the teacher-scholar relationship is supposed to be or what it's supposed to look like, right? There is an unlearning of how we use and wield and, and revere power. I think a lot of folks are like, oh, the teacher is, is the boss, what I say goes. But in a real working, thriving system that centers the scholar, right, there is no boss, right? You share the power, in a, in a learning system that serves the learner. And a lot of adults don't understand the importance and the power of sharing power with scholars. It is the innate assumption like, this is a kid, I'm the grown up, I know what's best for the kid. No, you don't all the time, right? Like half of the grown ups don't even know who they are. And you trying to tell the kid who they are. You don't know you. And you trying to tell this kid who they are. Like, quit it, quit it. Like it is, it is a joint system. I think the other part is that like people, a lot of a lot of educators and a lot of non-educators, I like to assume like once you become the teacher, you stop studying. And it's my belief that like I'm studying even more because not only am I still studying the craft, I teach high school English, so I'm always studying literature, right? I am also still studying instruction and brain work and how people think and how they move and how they learn and how they process. And I'm studying my kids. Like I need to know my, I need to know the T. I need to know what part of the city you staying in. Uh, is this 37th or 36? What building is this? Who live over top of you? You related to so-and-so? Okay, I know so-and-so mother. Let's start building, you know, let's build these bridges in these villages. I need to know the colors. I need to know the music. I need to know the tea. What's the Instagram handle? Like, I need to study them. Because if I'm going to create a system that serves them, I need to know them. Like, I need to, I need to know all those things. That's a part of it. I can't expect to grow without it. So it is an unlearning. It's an unlearning that we're all kind of doing around, like, you know, all the things rooted in white supremacy. I will say for me, my journey really too, um, I don't know, I'm different than most. I, I've lived in DC my whole life, you know, so I went, I saw this thing on the internet, you know, how were the people like, when you have your first black teacher? And I was like, well, shoot, when I have my first white teacher, that's my question, right? Like I didn't grow up in that place where I didn't see black people in high positions and thriving. I have always had black people in front of me, black women specifically in front of me, just being full-fledged geniuses, just coming to school every day, face beat, outfits coordinated and grown up versions of the school uniform, just handling business in elementary school, writing musicals for us, had us slinging uh singing slave spirituals for the Black History Month production with full-fledged, we're going to recreate this whole scene of Harriet Tubman in the first grade, right? So, like, I have always had that experience of just school as the place you want to be. That doesn't mean it's always been perfect, but it definitely has, I have experienced at a young age, a system meant to serve me. 
as opposed to like a system meant to break me. And so I think that really has like stuck with me in a way. And, you know, as a learner, as a woman, I understood who I was as a black woman. I think that's really important when you think about teaching black children and work and working with all kinds of adults. I knew who I was before I be, knew I wanted to be a teacher. So a lot of people come into teaching not really knowing who they are. And so you, you they can't accept what the kids are bringing. And I think for me, that's been a big gift for me is I can accept the kids because I know who I am. And so I understand they need the space to figure it out who they are. So I just accept them at wherever they are. Like, what you got? What's the tea? They think they spilling secrets with me. And I'm like, okay, so what's next? Yes. I Yes, you're coming out to me. I appreciate you. Thank you for giving me your secret. We'll be doing next because I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. They can't be dumb. Who we dealing with, right? Like who's in your DMs? <laughs> like so, I can accept them in, in a way that other folks can't. And a lot of that has been rooted in, in my own unlearning. Um, a lot of critical thinking work has gone into this process of just the study of how our brains work, how we take in information. Um, this uh, Linda and, and Paul Elder have this thing called the Critical Thinking Foundation, and maybe about. Six or seven years ago, I was working at a public charter school with a fabulous black woman principal who was from D.C. too. And she took us to California to the Critical Thinking Foundation Conference. And because she wanted to shift, our school was in a turnaround state. And she understood like that the shift had to be social, emotional, but also intellectual. Right. Like that we have to not only be able to tap into the genius in ourselves so that we can fully accept and see the genius in the kids because kids are genius. Like they are innately genius. The stuff they say, I just be like, do you understand? Like write that down. Like stop telling me what you can't do. Write down what you just said, how you just said it. Like it makes total sense to me. And so we went to the Critical Thinking Foundation and that's the that's the the study of depth. Right. And and going for depth instead of breath. And that's already a total unlearning of, of public education. Right. Because school is all about coverage. Right. And so like critical thought is like that we're going into depth and we started having those conversations about depth of thought, depth of content, but also a conversation about bias. Right. A conversation about how we infer things, um, the conversation about what we hold on to, how we process about cognitive dissonance and how we have visceral responses to stuff that challenges our psyche. Right. Like and that's how you that's how biases develop. That's how all these things that you know are developed. And so we started just learning those as adults and then started to think about, OK, now, how does this show up in our curriculum? How do we empower kids to think and move in this way? How do we give them that language and those tools? So that to me really got me to the understanding of like, I'm a great scholar because I'm a great synthesizer and I need to use that to make me a master teacher, right? Because if I can do that as a teacher, I'm equipping kids with, with the one go-to. It don't matter what content, what, what grade, what college, you can do this. You can unlock all these other things, right? That's the power of like, I can use what I know to figure out what I don't know. And I, t- I tell kids all the time, you know, everybody talks about public education, specifically public education in D.C. I went to three public schools. Banneker is a little different. We did have to apply to get in. But like I am never in a room where I doubt my intellect. Right. Like I don't know everything, but I know I can figure it out. I got some tools. I know how to how to get steps. I know how to you won't know that I don't know it. Right. Like, And so I want them to have that same feeling. So I think that was a big Part of it to be rooted in synthesis, to be learner centered. Um, And the other part is just like 
being committed to liberation. When you want to see another person liberated, you're going to do what it takes. You're going to figure out um, the synergy between emotional, social, and intellectual. And now I would even say physical, right? Because the pandemic has taught us a lot about how we use physical space. Um, but when you find the synergy of that, and when you center this other person in that system, there's no way they can lose, right? That's that. That's that's the mentality you have to have in that, that they will not lose. And I think um, a lot of teachers who aren't really they're not master teachers yet, or they're rooted in management, is, is because a lot of educational programs, a lot of these quick fix, unorthodox paths to the classroom, they're rooted in management because it's easy, right? It's a strategy, right? As opposed to a system. It's a, it's a quick fix. It's adult-centered. It's easier to work with adults. I can tell them what to do, and if they like it, they'll buy into it. Or if they want to make money, they'll buy into it. So that's easier than you know debunking all these myths and thinking of a system that serves scholars. That's easier than listening to scholars, right? And for me, if that's your mindset, if that's how you move, you are, you're not a master teacher because master teacher is, is rooted in another person's liberation. They understand critical thought in depth and synthesis, and they will center the learner, the scholar at all costs, right? Um, and I just don't think that's something that people talk about out loud or they teach, you know? That, that is, uh, <laughs> you, you said so much there that, that uh, you know, gives me so many things to continue to think about, but, you, you know, where you started uh, when, you, when, you, when you spoke about decentering adults and, uh, and unlearning, one of my favorite words in the, you know, in the, in the English dictionary, you, can you put those two, you know, kind of together and, and give us kind of a practical example of, of how you bring that to the classroom, you know, like, like a lens for the people who are currently, you know, sages on the stage, because um, it seems that the, the school system, um, is 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 more about the person just getting up there and giving kids information um as opposed to finding out what those kids actually need so can can you give us something practical um on how you do that yeah i, I will and I, my disclaimer is gonna be that people are gonna say oh because i teach high school it's easier with bigger kids i got two i got a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old downstairs and i'm about to tell you something i do in classroom that i do with them too they can handle it Right. Like and something real super practical that people don't even think about. Sit down in a chair when you talk to kids. Right. Because when you sit down and you're at their level. Right. That is me. I'm releasing this power boundary. Right. I'm your peer now. Like, let's have a discussion. I ask kids what they want to do and I, I do what they say. Right. Not all the time, but sometimes I really do say, OK, y'all think let's let's call it audible, because if y'all think this, this has to be what's happening. I have a brain trust of scholars in every class that I teach who I go back to and I, I ask some specific feedback towards like the learning. How do you think this went? What were some of the obstacles here? What could I have done to release you of, of some more barriers? Did I give you all enough time to do this? Every time we do something in the classroom after it's done, we process the process so they can tell me what they thought about it. Right. Like, how did it feel to do this in this way? And so as we, um, you know, get more systems together later down the road, I can say, OK, so this is the task. What system do y'all think we should do, right? Do we do a rhetorical triangle here? Are we doing an SEI here? Do y'all need to talk to each other first? Like, tell me which way you want to go. So they can start to own, you know, the learning. Um, another piece is the physical space. Kids don't have to ask me to do nothing in our classroom. You don't have to ask me to throw nothing away. You don't have to ask me to go sharpen your pencil. This your space. Everything is labeled. 
right? Like stuff is set out. It's no uh, teach. A lot of times when you work in places that aren't resourced well and teachers have to buy their own supplies, it is this. It is, it's a real kind of thing of like, well, I bought this, so y'all can't waste this, right? Like, or give me some collateral for this pencil. I, I just don't. If if I got it and you need it, you gonna have it. Go in the closet. One time we ran out of, I had like a little, I have these little supply cubbies that I sit in the middle of the desk. So you don't have to ask me for nothing. They go tissue, they go hand sanitizer, they go pencils, they go highlighters. So when I start pulling out my tabs, go and get you a tab and mark up your notebook, right? Like everything is there set up for them to be able to run it themselves. And one time we had like ran out of tissues in the cubby and the little boys knew to like go to the closet and the one no tissues in there. And so, and they were like, okay, Miss, that's one had no tissues. What are we going to do? Go in my purse and get that little pack of tissue and somebody write me a post-it and I'll get some more tonight at the store. And he was like, go in your purse, go in my purse. Like I trust you. We right here. We're a band, right? If I trust you with my knowledge, if I trust you with my emotions, I trust you with my purse, bro, go get the tissue. And I think that like it, it creates, it is. It creates trust. It, it creates the like that we're in this as a whole. Like all of this doesn't fall on me as the adult. We're going to share in the wins, but we also we're going to share in the losses. Like I will tell the kids, like, dang, I messed that up. My bad, y'all. Like my bad. I messed it up. Like, give me a minute to try to fix it, right? If I can fix it by myself. If I can't fix it by myself, I will be like, I can't fix this by myself. I need some assistance. Which one of y'all can help me? Like it is, it is sharing, sharing the power, the space, the trust, the the grace, the wins, the losses with them. And I think people miss out on talking with kids because they're so busy talking at them. Because kids know, you just got to ask them, ask them and listen, like listen to what they say. Don't ask them just to say you ask them, but ask them and listen, take their feedback and put it into action and let them see, like I'm putting your feedback into action. Right. Like it it has just changed the total game. And if nothing else, that sitting down will change the game because that tells the kids, OK, she she releasing a little bit. She not it's not a fuss because, you know, it's a fuss because I'm looking at you over these glasses. I might even taking these glasses off and Northwest Tiff is talking to you. It's a fuss. But most times I'm going to sit down because it's a discussion. Right. Like I want you to know that I'm listening when you speak to me. How do we make this happen together? So those to me are the most practical. Um, but that physical space, too, is a game changer. Let them kids move around the classroom. Kids should not make, if they moving and they're making you nervous, you're not supposed to be there. They should not be making you nervous. That's your space. And kids have to, I think a lot of people forget that like kids have to move to learn. That's a part of it. I learned that as a mom. Because I used to get real worked up because my son was, you know, little kids lick stuff. And they pick stuff up. And they're touching. I will never forget the pediatrician told me. He was like, um, kids learn with all five senses. You know, to a certain degree, let him lick it, let him touch it, let him taste it, let him smell it. He has to figure it out. I know, right? I was like, what? He eating that? No, I, he can't be out here in the, in the world. This was before the Rona. He cannot be out here licking stuff. <laughs> like, but, but that idea of like how they experience the world, you know, with all of their parts. It's the same way when we think about like how they learn and process energy. Some kids need to move. Some kids need to stand. Some kids need to create a, a smaller space. Some kids thrive in noise. Some kids thrive in silence. And if nothing else, like I can't expect them to be their most vulnerable intellectual self if they so worried about their physical self. Right. So like that's those are those are real quick ways to free up some of the negative energy and to show the kids that like they're at the center of it, that it's meant for them and not just you.
I mean, 20 minutes, I deserve a PhD. Like, I'm just from listening. Jeez Louise, like, just spitting facts. And that brings me so beautifully into what we wanted to talk about next, which is the art of teaching and the science of teaching. So you've said both of both of those things um, th- throughout our conversation. And I would love for you to get into how important it is and what it does to the system when we have more educators that have access and that understand the importance of the art of teaching and studying the science of teaching. You mentioned things that you do in the class and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. So I I think like we have a real issue as as educators with access to knowledge and access to information that will help our students because we know the teacher prep programs aren't necessarily teaching these things that you're teaching and that you're saying right now. So just talk a little bit about just even if it's even if it's given a book list, like what are some of the things that folks who, again, want to become master teachers, how do they begin to hone into and study the art of teaching, the science of teaching, which then creates a more equitable system? When I think of books, maybe, um, let me see. Well, if you think about like the art and science of teaching, you can start with Marzano. Some people, you know, kind of don't like Marzano. They feel like that's basic or that's old. But if you just need a basic understanding of like teaching as a craft, you can start there. You definitely can start there. And and most programs or schools or districts want to just start you with like the Marzano, the strategy book, right? Don't start there. Start with the, the art and science of teaching Marzano, right? Um, I would even say there are a lot of folks who are teachers who don't understand the history of education in America, right? So you need to read things like um, the Teacher Awards by Dana Goldstein, um, the history, the, the educating of Blacks in the South, Right. Like to really understand what the school system was designed for. Um, and so I think the the, edu- the education of blacks in the South will teach you a lot about um, the insidiousness of white supremacy in, in schools and specifically schools for black children and um, the power of black educators in charge of black children. Whereas the, the teacher wars by Dana Goldstein will help you navigate a lot of the, the bureaucracy and the politics that a lot of us get weighed down by, right? And especially for female teachers. Um, you know, it's a gift and a curse that we're in a practice that's predominantly female. And her book does a lot to uncover that history of how we got that way, right? And like who supports education and why. And um, the intersections of public, private, and charter schools too, in a way. Um, and I would definitely say go read Linda and Paul Elder with the Critical Thinking Foundation. They have like a set, girl, they got a set of books. And I cannot wait till I come up on some real money because I might have a classroom where all the kids have the whole set, right? I have definitely invested a lot of money in that. And I give, um, I give every, every time I teach a class, I give my kids this book. It's called the Aspiring Critical Thinkers Guide. That's like their kid version of their adult set. So I just have a whole bunch of them in my garage and I like give them to my kids, like when I teach, right? Like put this in your binder, right? Because we're going to be using it. And it might not make sense to you now, but you're going to thank me when you a junior in college because you're going to be a well person, right? You're going to be a well critical thinker. You're not going to be selfish and closed-minded. So like, cause and that cause that's the part people forget too. Like some of these people out here spitting foolishness, they thought critically about it. 
it's just in a selfish way, right? To, for their own gain. So like we have to be able to think about how do you navigate those systems? So for on the adult side, they have books that teach you, like teach you how to craft questions and the power of questioning. Um, a lot of the work people is their science books. There's one where it's like about engineering and a lot of literary, literary human, uh, humanities folks might think that doesn't apply to them, but it definitely does. Because um, just when we think about how we respond, how do we determine our next step? When I was teaching AP, uh, AP language and composition, we did this case study with the challenger. You know how the challenger exploded. And you talk about like um, what happens when critical thinking goes awry, when people don't stop to consider all parts of the process, right? When you don't stop to consider logic, when you don't listen to each other, that it could end in a fatality, in a casualty. And then you like... Um, you know, compare that or contrast that with Apollo 13, right? With the Houston, we have a problem. And those thinkers went in a room and started thinking together. Like nobody started going crazy. Nobody shut down. They went and started thinking to put this together for these men in space in a way some other, in other times when they didn't, right? So like a, a science work kind of teaches you how to slow down and really think because scientists have full-fledged process. They go through the steps. And we don't go to step five if we haven't figured out step four. You don't find no scientists cutting no corners, right? Like they're going to get it done. And, and, and that's a thinking set that can apply to every type of scholar. So I would definitely get some of them books. Get those books if that um, is something you want to think about. Um, because I think the critical thought piece helps you really become like a synthesizer and an organizer of your thoughts and your personal systems, um, and so in that way, it also helps you to be more in tune when you start thinking about how you how you respond metacognitively, how you handle, you know, your own dissonance of thought and emotion, how you handle how you infer um, that teaches you to how to retain information. Right. How to retain information that you're learning content wise, how to retain information about yourself when you comb through your own mind and figure out things for yourself and in turn kind of just gives you the tools to inquire and retain information about other people. Because you're asking different questions when you're thinking in a different way, right? And when I'm thinking to be open-minded and critical, right? I am moving with the, with the, I'm moving with empathy. I'm moving in a different way. And that opens you up to take in other people and they notice it, right? You attack your work differently. Um, the other part I would say is like, teachers really need to be a master of their content. Somewhere we got lost and start thinking like anybody can teach anything. Not That's not all the way true. Like you have to be a master in your content area. I cannot be out here talking about I'm a literate, I'm a literature teacher. And I don't know all these things about literature. I'm not constantly studying how language is changing. Um, you know, like 10 years ago, we were checking grammar. We're not checking grammar no more, right? Like we talking, uh, talking back and talking black, right? We're not correcting grammar. Right. Kids are speaking in their own language and we can accept that. And when you think when you are someone who's in tune with like thought and practices and systems, you realize like the variables of language and pace and length, those things don't matter. Right. Like if they have it here, everyone's going to present it in a way that they're comfortable. And so you can start to um, release a lot of these bottom bottom of the barrel tick points that, you know, have become this big deal in school. Um, but and and it also will take some of the weight off of like your principals and your instructional coaches. I was an instructional coach for a while. Like I can teach you instruction. I can teach you what I know about how scholars think and how to reach them. But I can't teach you the periodic table 
Like you can't be teaching chemistry and you don't know science. I don't know nothing about trigonometry. I barely got through math in high school. That's why I teach literature. So I can tell you kids, I can tell you instruction. You need to know your content. Right. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the unorthodox programs don't require people to really know their content. A lot of people think because I can read, I can teach somebody else how to read. You lied. There is a science to teaching reading. And it's like the physical letters sound phonics, but it's also the like decoding synthesis, you know, annotation, like analysis. Like you can't you can't just walk in there and do that. You have to have studied that in a really deep way. And in the same way of like the science of scholars and just like your intellectual self. I feel like, um, you know, cause I got a degree in education. And one thing that we did that I'm really grateful that we did, that we did now um, is like, you know how you, they make you take this uh, child psychology classes. And so like, right. So I already had a base level understanding of like who kids are and how they move and what they need. And so, like, I knew that was important. Even if I knew at certain points in my career I didn't have enough information, I knew the idea of knowing this about them was important. Um, because, you know, that that really frees you up to start to think about the transfer of knowledge. Because it's, you know, and teachers always fuss. All the jokes on TikTok is how to teach you. Be like, well, I got mine. Y'all trying to get you. Yeah, but, like, you got to be able to transfer it to them. And kids can teach you things, too. Um, so I think when you talk about the art of it, it starts with like a, a critical deep dive into yourself, a real commitment to being an intellectual commitment to your content, your content area, um, and like a studying of this of the science of scholars of all ages. And I don't even I was yeah because it's it's it's, there, it's important. And I learned that too being home with this virtual teaching because let me tell you who the real MVPs are, them preschool teachers. Them preschool teachers are the real MVPs. And I don't care what nobody said, because my my four year old, you know, started technically started school virtually. Right. Never went to a classroom. And not only was this teacher like able to get this is her gift. She got them kids together, but she got the parents together. When I tell you we are we are the T.A.s. Every parent in that class is running mama, daddy, grandma auntie, whoever is responsible for that child, they sent us home with a set of things. And so every time she's kind of talking and training the kids, she's training us. And so, cause she understood very early, like this is going to rely on us being into it too. So no, so even when the kids are like, cause you know, kids, them, the pre-K kids, they do what they want to do. They run rogue every day, somebody in the mood. And you know what she does instead of like trying to push them through it, she says, that's fine. They're in the mood. Let them go. Right. One day, all the kids, I think, was kind of squiggling in the camera. And she was like, I think this is a, this is a negative day. I feel your energy. It's OK. I love you. We're going to not have class today. Go play. She told him to go play like because she she, and she every time she said that all of the all the mamas be like, what you talking about? She'd be like, no, like we're going to follow the kids like we're going to follow them. Because what they feel is important. She takes her time every morning to like talk to each individual kid. What did you do? How do you feel? Tell me what you're thinking today, like in a very intentional way. And she has, you know, really kind of taught us by example of like how we should be talking to them, how we should be moving, how we should kind of just let them do it. She said, I'm not, you know, when they trace things, you know, all the mamas are trying to make the trace perfect. She's like, I'm not looking for it to be perfect. I'm looking to see how they hold the pen. So there you go. Don't make their letters for them. Let them do it. Right. And so it is it is a real 
eye opener and just like, and we do all those things when they're, when they're that little. I don't know what happens between middle and high school. People assume kids don't need that anymore. Like they need that. Adults need that. You know, it looks different. It's a different kind of packaging, but it's the same empathy. It's the same depth and it's the same, you know, centering. Right. She made it very clear. They are they are at the center of what we're doing. And so I think if you can get into that, you can shift your practice, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, 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 you're sitting here giving kind of a, you know, a master class, you know, on, on what folks, um, you know, should be taking, you know, a, a look at. And and a lot of what pops into my head is, is so much of this seems self-evident. It seems like, of course, you should do it that way. Like, why doesn't everybody? Uh, so I'm curious kind of what the barriers are uh, for people picking up these perspectives. You know, why, why, why is this not the foundational way um, that, that teachers think about things um, everywhere? Mm. A part of it is just just the, the cultural norms and history that like the teacher knows everything, right? And so like they're they're the sage. My uh, one of my coworkers always talk about like being a sage on the stage, right? Like that it's just it's it's the portrayal of it. Think about when we see teachers on TV, right? Or like that, or even when we think, and a lot of people still teach how they were taught. Right. And so this is how we have internalized a lot of these ideals and a lot of what we've seen in our own personal experiences and just decided, well, this is what, you know, if it worked for me, it'll work for them. Right. Or this is all that I know. So this is what we'll do. And the reality is, and I think, too, some people get into teaching for just like what they could think are the perks. Right. They're like, we, we get our summers off and we don't work on the weekends and we're done at three o'clock. And like, oh, I could teach the same subject and use the same materials. You can. It's going to be boring and dry. Them kids going to rip you to shreds. You better update that, that process every year. I write totally new lessons and totally new units every year because every kid is different. Every class of kid is different. Right now, shoot, my third period is totally different from my fourth, my fourth period. They're different period to period. And like they don't they don't think of, of it as a depth of work, as a as a constant thriving and moving and growing. The other part, I think we just got real barriers of like we have leaders who have taught less than the people they're leading or maybe not have taught at all. Right. There has been a major shift of like treating school, which to a certain extent in its history was like a system of service to now we're businesses. So in businesses, there are a hierarchy of positions, of value, of worth. And so now when you come into a school building and try to treat, you know, give it the business framework that puts the teacher at the ground level position. We work, we in the mail room to business minded folks, right? And so you got to work your way up to do this. But the reality is the teacher is the master part of this setup. That's the trench. That's where all of the work is happening. You know, but if I'm treating it like a business and I put the teachers at the bottom of the, of the, of the totem pole, there's no real development there. There's no development there. All of the work is dumped there. And so if you so choose to develop yourself, you to a certain extent got to do it on your off time. And and so that I think that that is a major piece to it. This I don't know. There's the the money, the resources, how the money is moved around, who gets what and what place, the fact that it's different in every state. Right? Like that's a gift and a curse. Um, the onslaught of like the, the ready baked school, 
right? They're like, I can't, you know, these, these, um, the unorthodox paths that you can do it this quickly, right? That, um, the improper balance of like licensure and experience, because you got people who are licensed, but with no experience and people with boatloads of experience, but they're not licensed. And there's a tension between the two. Um, and like how we categorize and value and use and misuse educators, that part. Um, and I think, too, as a country, America just got real comfortable and real lazy and just thought that like, oh, we have been doing it this way and it was working. So we don't got to do nothing else. And just thinking that like school can stay the same and be consistent when the world is crumbling. No, the world is crumbling. And those kids are bringing those crumbs in their pockets into the building. The grownups are bringing them crumbs in their pockets into the building. And to think that we can just go as business as usual without addressing those, without revolving to those. And it's also the, I hate the, um, you know how they're like, we're going to reimagine, we're going to reform. No, because the re is doing it again. Like you got to dismantle stuff. There has to be a full, complete, revolution and a revolution is like ground zero we're starting over and i think no one wants to um completely stop and start over and every time we have a a chance where we could dismantle and really you know start again people are missing the mark they choose to focus on something else because this right here with this pandemic you know how cute this really could have been if they really gave us computers and technology that work you're not gonna have a hologram authors up on this screen for my kids or some foolishness I, I don't know what I, I can't even begin to imagine what it could have looked like if we had had some resources and some time and some space to really just think like to think without barrier to imagine without barrier what this could have looked like. And because nobody wanted, you know, nobody on the top, I'm not going to say that because teachers say this, all, all the teachers are saying this, right? But nobody wanted to devote proper and true resource to it, right? Nobody was, nobody had a backbone to say, well, let's, we're going to take a, t- we're going to get some time. We could have stopped. We could have just completely said there will be no school for a few months. Y'all going to handle life. And I'm going to give the grownups a chance to imagine and process and tell us what they need. Or we're going to go creative with the money, right? Like, we could have done all of those things and people just miss the mark for the sake of managing, controlling this illusion of security, um, this illusion of, of normalcy, right? Like, and, and doing what traditionally we have done instead of what best centers the scholar. Um, and what will also, to a certain extent, show the teacher that they're valued and respected. Um, but I really think it's, it's something to do with this idea of, of people thinking of school as a business. Because I just feel like when we were younger, that teacher was revered, right? In a way that now um, the teacher is is not only kind of disrespected, but disenfranchised. We don't really have a say in a lot of the process, No one really stops to say, like, what do you need or what can we do or what has worked and what hasn't worked? Right. It's a lot of folks telling us what should work, what they think could work. Um, Go try this. No, I don't want to try. I don't want to try these things on on my kids, on my people. Um, And and also, too, there is a culture of just like. Of skipping steps. Right. Of like, let's what's the quick fix. Right. Well, let me do this. Let me do this real quick. What can what can I do? Um, what can I do in three steps? Right. That, that Let me put a bandaid on it as opposed to like, let me really get to the root and the causes. 
And until we really stop to address those things, we're not going to see a system that we all want, right? Um, as long as we're living in the re, in the reimagine, in the re, in the reform, we're never going to get what we need. We need a complete revolution, uh, a whole let's shut it down, start over, get rid of your, throw it away. We're not going to repackage it and uh, reimage it for the internet. Throw it away. And give people the space to grapple and think and make something new um, or fresher, because you know, and different. Because different isn't less, right? Like if it, if it's going to cent- a system that really centers who we say we're for, then it has to be different. Because kids are different, right? Like the world is different. America is different. Like we got things we need to handle, and school can't be the catch-all for all. Uh, all the losses and the and the trash, and then you expecting all these unrealistic things from scholars and teachers. True story. True story. I, I'm, you know, one of the things that really popped into my mind as you as you were you know speaking there was just you know Eva being a being a first year teacher. Um, you know, one how this podcast you know continues to inform her and 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 help her to learn you know how to be a better teacher. So I'm I'm curious, Eva. Um, what what you're going to take from what uh, what what's been spoken on today to 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 make you a better teacher? You know, just uh, tomorrow is is there something you can think about um, that you can bring to a student in a way that uh, that you might not have thought about prior to uh, hearing Tiffany drop all kind of gems? Um, thanks. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, and what I have done this year, and that I want to continue to do as per which was so informed by this conversation. I'm going to be real. The only good thing I think I've done this year is build relationships with my students. As a first year teacher, I think it's the only good thing um, on that list of what it means to be a master teacher. I know which student is taking care of two kids at home. I know which student is pregnant. I know which student is about to be pregnant. I know which student is, is in, in, which is in, in negative relationships. I ask every other teacher, have you seen this kid? Oh, have you heard from them? Oh, like, Oh, they're not here. Oh, I can tell you why they're not here because they texted me and told me X, Y, and Z. So um, unfortunately, I don't know the content area that I'm teaching in. Unfortunately, I am in a position where I, I don't, my opinion isn't valued in a way that I would appreciate it to be valued. I'm not in a place where I feel supported on my journey to becoming a master teacher, but I do know that it was important for me to build relationships with students and families. Um, And so tomorrow it's going to be continue to build my relationships to the last day of school with my kids. Um, And the ones that I know that are going to still reach out to me when they're in college or the ones that I know that are still going to reach out to me with whatever they decide to do when they, when they cross the stage in a couple of weeks, um, that's what I can do. And then I know moving into years of, of educating in various different places, because this public school system, I got to go, got to go. That, that whole revolutionizing thing, that's what we try to do here at Black on Black Education. Bring some kids up out of that place and allow educators to step out of that place as well so we can actually get into uh, what, what, re- what that revolutionized education system would look like. Um, but I know that that means going to get my PhD. I know that that means reading the books. I know that that means signing up for the free courses that Yale, Harvard, Columbia, all these other places have to hone my practice of how much I know about the about the American history system and how much I know about literacy and how to connect what we do in history to literacy. Um, I know that those things are important. Those are things that I, I, you attempt to do, but oh, you feel like a weight is on you um, as a first year teacher when you have no idea what you're doing every day. Um, And the tears are coming because you feel like you're harming kids. Um, But I know that 
a lot of that is the system. And I know that it's part of my job to, to help dismantle that. And the other part is to mitigate it by doing the, by doing extra work, doing, doing the extra things. So definitely appreciate the question. Um, because this whole time I'm sitting here like, how do I be better? (laughs) Notes, like, what do I read? Okay. School year's ending. I could read all these books if I calculate the days, like, (laughs) cause I, it means that much to me to provide a quality education to students. And I think that that's really what we're lacking in the system. I had somebody tell me they, that they thought I was too smart to be a teacher. And it took me a second. Yes. <laughs> and it took me a second. And I understood what they were saying. But I understood where they were coming from, from this framework that anybody can be a teacher. And that and that teaching is not a profession where the people who are summa cum laude at their, at their schools are supposed to go into. Um, and, and I had professors that were like, why are you doing that? Like, you need to be doing anything else. Like, why would you, why would you be doing that? Um, and I always had to push back to say, like, it means that much. Kids need these people. And the work, if I'm not doing it, then who's doing it? The dumb ones and the people who don't care and the people who haven't honed their practice or created their entire major around education and supporting students. Like, if I didn't do that, if I'm not supposed to go into the classroom, who is supposed to go into the classroom? And I think that that's something that we really have to start doing, like you said, holistically. Um, how do we begin to have these conversations as educators? And how do leaders begin to say, hey, you've never taken ethnic studies class? Like, not even one? You don't belong here. Like, how do we begin to, to, to say and to do those things? Because somehow it has become okay to... to Oh, I got my uh, my master's and I did my licensure and here we are. I vividly remember being in high school and having a teacher be like, yeah, I got three more years to my kids ready for college and I'm out. Like, and, and that was the reality of how they felt. And we came and walked in and just like talked about stuff and then left. And like as a high school student, that was great. I didn't have class, no homework, wonderful. Um, but then you look back and you're like, yeah, but I don't know nothing about economics. So <laughs> like, what do we do? And, and so it would be, it would be, yeah, I'd be remiss not to answer that question with tomorrow. It's, it's continuing to build those relationships because we got five weeks left, but as a journey, it's, it's continuing to learn. It's continuing to grow. It's continuing to build who I am intellectually and realize that, listen, there are things I could have done way better this year, way better, but I, I don't I think when we think about like what we can do to shift it, it, it has to it has to be a lot of moving parts to a certain extent. I think one is to have people who understand what we do, how we do it and why we do it in higher places helps us out, right? So Jamal, I know you're running for the school board, right? Like everyone, this is the first official oh, him as a board member. Right, we need we need that. We need that we need that is in place. We need people who know the truth about the craft and the content and the system in place to tell the truth. Right? Like so that we don't have these skewed views of what we do and how we do it. And I I mean I think a lot of us are realizing that now when we talk about the pandemic, these people in charge don't know what we do. You have no idea what this looks like every day. Because if you did, you would understand how the decisions you make drill down to our day to day. 
right? Like we fuss all the time here, like in DC, I don't know about in New York, but you know, like the mayor is kind of like the head of everything. And we have a school board and a city council, but to a certain extent, and we have a chancellor, but to a certain extent, I'm like, what she says kind of goes sometimes. And I'm like, girl, you don't even understand this. Cause if you knew what we was dealing with every day, if you knew what we really need and really did, you would never get on TV and say some of the stuff that you say. You would never make the decisions that you make. We just had, we've been having a, Family meetings, right? Schools, family meetings, because this girl over here talking about she about to cut budgets. Post Rona budgets gonna be cut. If anything, we need our budgets, our budgets increased post Rona. Do you know what we about to have to deal with in August? Do y'all know what we about to have to do to put this back together? And that's just talking about putting it back together. I didn't even talk about what we really need to do, which is the is the revolution. But just to put it back together, do you know what we're gonna have to do? And who we need to do that. We need different kind of people. It can't just be teachers. Because quiet as it's kept, we need a school psychologist for the kids. We need a psychologist on deck for the grown-up. Everybody need an hour a day. Like, we need to shift the food game because kids been at home either not eating or eating hot Cheeto fries, right? We need to shift the food game. We need like open just space space for them to just run like to get these energies back together and then we need real we need a real intellectual dive i need a whole nother set of books and tools because the crap y'all got that we just had on the internet ain't working for me i need a whole nother set i need a whole nother set of books and i need it in 3d and i need it on the internet and i need it to be cute in both facets so my kids are getting the full experience period and like so, so, so I they just don't get it. And I think a lot of that too is, is one, we need to have the space to tell the real truth about what we go through and what we are experiencing. The other is, I think we need, we need people who are like-minded in high places. So we don't have to continuously prove things and explain things. And we really need to figure out a way to get all of these, um, we need to get some people out the way. Some people just don't need to be in the mix. They got to get off the team. Like you just got to go, boo. And I don't know how else to say that, but some folks got to get out the way. Because if you're not with it, if you're not down with liberating, if you don't have the revolution in your mind, as just like you said, as we're mitigating every day, you got to go. If you don't move with empathy, if you don't see the importance of this, if we got to repeat stuff to you, if we got to make you believe that you walk around here talking about this ain't true, this don't matter, go, get on. You in the way. Like everybody don't got to be with it, but don't be in the way. And I feel like there's so many people in house, like in our systems, in our classrooms, in the way. And people in in political seats in the way. Um, people who have a platform to shift ideals, right? To write standards and textbooks, y'all in the way. And unfortunately, until we figure out a way um to kind of get them out and or to like balance a little bit of the capital, they're going to stay. Because some people are in those places because that's where you make the money, right? Like, and what really needs to happen is I need to get paid. I need to get paid well for what I do. I need to be a six-figure paid teacher because I'm teaching well. And that's not the bottom of this. Well, there are no tiers here. I'm not at the bottom of the totem pole. I'm not working my way up. I want to be here in this space. I should be paid to be in this space. So I could do all the things you just said, right? So I could read the books. I could go. I, I need to be able to go on sabbatical. As a high school teacher, if I feel like I want to go learn something that is going to make my kids thrive, I should have the space to do it. I should get paid to do it. There should be conversations around licensure for teachers who continue to do well, whose students are do well, but maybe came in at a point where like the, the licensure wasn't a big deal. When you switch from charter to public, right? I'm learning that now because I've taught charter school the majority of my life. And, you know, you don't necessarily need a license. You need to have a like a degree in your content, right? Because that's 
do you know this content? <laughs> like, um, and so now we have the public school side, it's, it's really a cutthroat kind of like licensure setup. And so like, you're going to tell me I got the highest, uh, I was going to say impact, that's what we call evaluations. The highest evaluation score, one of the highest evaluation scores in my building, and you about to tell me I might not have no job because I didn't pay to go take some tests in the middle of the Rona. Like, I got to pay for the test. When I'm supposed to study for the test, I'm going to stop what I'm doing with my kids to go study for this test. Mm, not this Tiffany, you know. Maybe younger, not really, you know, hadn't thought about the future Tiffany might have did that, but I'm not finna. Nothing is going to stop this, this system that I have rolling with my kids, right? So, and my kids in my classroom and my kids at home, because I got two kids at home that I'm teaching at the same time, too. Like, no. And so, it is, it is a... It is a fine line between that. But I think until we get to a place where, like, we are not only valued um, by word, but by action, we still live in a capitalist society. So by money, by resource, like, you know, it's, it's going to be a hard road for us in that way. So I, I do think we need we need parents. We need parents. We need the community. You know, like it would it, my when I was growing up, my Elementary school teacher, my favorite teacher from elementary school, probably why I'm a teacher now, was best friends with my grandma. So I saw her at school. Then that thing was in here on Saturday playing cards with my grandma. Then we saw her at church, right? Like it was a community setup. So I can't come home talking no trash about Miss Walton because first of all, that's grandma's best friend. Second of all, grandma, no, it's you and not Miss Walton. It's you. What you do? <laughs> like, how are we going to fix it? But also, Miss Walton ain't doing but so much of me because she know me. She know me in her classroom. She know where I came from and who I came from, right? And she and she knows what I need and like how to push and how to move because it's it's a it's a system. It's not just in this one piece. It's a setup. It's a whole system. And I think that's a part that we're missing now too. The school has kind of become this isolated cog in the system. And so people just assume one that like we can do all these things by ourselves that we can take over what the community is supposed to be doing. No, I can't. I can't. We can't do that by ourselves and we can't wear all those losses by ourselves. And we don't, we, we just can't. Kids need to see that it permeates every part of their life. They need to, and their parents need to see that like they have a, you own a stake in the school too. Like this is, we have your kids. You have a stake in what happens here. You have a say in what happens here. And parents have become real comfortable like just letting the school say stuff. And that only works if the people in the building are people who are of quality. But what happens when the people in the building are people of quality and they get to say stuff and you don't say nothing back? Like we have to, we it has to be like an all hands on deck set up. Um, and even more so, we're gonna have to. We need to. We're gonna have to watch out for these policies because this stuff they over here whispering about now, and they talking about, and each state doing something tricky, and they trying to tell you what you can teach or what you can say, and who said this, and then you know, in other places they not worried because the PTA is saying something different, but in other places, you know, the teachers are saying something different, but there's no place where we all are working in concert. And so, when are we gonna talk about that, right? And like. I just, that's something we really have to pay very close attention to in the next year, two years. That's that's the tipping point of what happens when we, um, in this rush to put it back together, right? Um, and on, on the heels of, the, uh, you know, on the, we all going to be anti-racist. Okay, that's what y'all say. <laughs> say it to my face. Show me what your actions. 
<laughs> you know, like do it then. <laughs> do it. Like we're waiting. Really, we're waiting. What's next? Do it. You said it. Do it. Do what you said. <laughs> like I'm so so happy your daddy on that school board. Yes. Give it to him every day. Give it thank to you, him. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm 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 happy too. And and uh, you know, I mean I find myself in some of the things that you said because you know, I, I certainly don't know all of the inner workings of a of a school board, but what I am willing to do um is listen and and listen to everybody you know all stakeholders um particularly the students so you know we we have like a community um engagement uh committee that i will be on and and uh and and look into you know kind of just really shift the story because i I feel like i mean my my district is um 13 1400 it's not a big you know big big district um and but but it's a diverse district you know you you got all kind of races and things to to that um you have uh, uh, you know all kind of neurodiversity in, in in our district, and if if we can figure these things out, you know, on the micro level, it's the same thing that needs to happen at the on the macro level for um for education in its totality. So, um, you know, I'm 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 looking to go to work, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. So, thank you for for uh, for the kind words there. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so I think the last thing that I wanted to say is that we're going to have to pick up this conversation at the Black on Black Education Conference in August, where the theme is back to school, how to create the new normal. Uh, So we will send you information about that, Tiffany. And then now we're going to get into our last question, which is always giving you the opportunity to become the interviewer and ask us um, a question about the topic. I don't know if my questions are about that topic, though, but you know, I, t- I took copious notes for your questions that you sent me. And so I wrote some stuff. I wrote some stuff there. Oh, wait, what's one thing? Um, oh, ooh. We ain't say that, but we could talk about that later offline. About money. Because I wrote down here to teach master teachers need real and truth, uh, loan forgiveness, and we need, we need development expense accounts. We're going to get into that later. <laughs> But um, we do because I can't have no uh, secondhand PDs. I don't want my principal who went to the meeting to teach me what she heard in the meeting. Because what if she didn't hear everything? And everybody don't take notes like this. Send me to the meeting. Okay, that's okay. That's next. Okay, that was for your dad, so he can tell the people we don't want no secondhand PDs. Pay for the whole district to go, bruh. Okay, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I, I did write two questions. One, but I don't know if they about the topic, but. Because I saw on Instagram how y'all posted on the 17th about Brown. And, you know, I have a Brown v. Board on the anniversary of Brown. And, you know, I have some very special feelings about Brown. And so I was trying to put this question together. And I was like, I wrote down, did Brown v. Board revolutionize or regress education for Black scholars and educators? And my second question is about, um, like, designing future communities. But I, I, I think since we got some time, I would love to hear y'all talk about the Brown tea. Because uh, I think that is that is an important cog in, in the master teacher, in the in the trajectory of a master teacher, especially master black teachers, right? No, you take, the, you take the first one. I'll take the second one. Beautiful. Um, first question: Brown v. Board. I think it's something that we one hundred percent recognize as a part of Black history. I am. I I sat in a class. 
I was not well liked after this conversation. But very similarly to what you said, I think that there was a very strong regression after Brown versus Board of Education, particularly as someone who went to, to went to college in New York City and who very much realized that it's one of the, it is the most segregated schools in the country and ever. So I think that we say it in the country and then people think, oh, that's just now. No, no, that's ever more segregated than they were historically. Um, and so there is an extreme regression when we talk about how many black teachers were, were professionals then versus how many black teachers are professionals now. And often talk about Brown versus Board of Education only as this exciting, crazy thing that happened. And we don't get into the nitty gritty of the language of the legislation and how the language of the legislation allows for segregation to continue haphazardly. Um, and so I love that question because it brings in so much of what we talked about as a part of the barriers to becoming a master teacher. Well, the, one of the, some of the barriers are that the educators of my grandma, the educators of, of my dad, I mean, obviously not him, he's not that old, but of my grandparents, those were educators that were professionals that were taught to teach black children and they lost their jobs because white parents did not want black teachers teaching their children. And so when you desegregate a school, they didn't desegregate the school. They just made it so that you legally couldn't say only black people can go here and only white people can go here. And so I think that that history is important to bring in when we have conversations about Brown v. Board. And it, again, a part of our history. And so, so many people out there who get scared when they're like, we're, we're, we're reversing history. The CRT is, is rewriting history. No, we're writing it properly. And we're writing it with nuance and we're writing it with critical thought in realizing that every decision can have both a negative and positive outcome. There we go. And can lead to negative and positive outcomes for kids. And Brown versus Board of Education is not null and void of that. Um, so I love that. And I think, again, just like we said, in connection to the whole conversation, it absolutely creates barriers to becoming a, a master teacher because the programs that were building teachers then don't exist anymore because HBCUs are being chipped and chipped and chipped and chipped away at, which is a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> but dad, I'll let you, I'll let you take it for the, for the second question. Tiffany, just uh, ask, the, ask the second question again. I want to make yes, sure I answer I wrote, When we think of designing our future and our communities together, what are the contextual must-haves or must-knows that we all have to keep um, on that journey? Like, what are the must-haves in a journey to create a future for ourselves and others? So, um, you know, in the beginning, this is going to sound esoteric because it, it, it's, and it's something I say all the time, you know, that, that, that we don't have to be like-minded, we have to be like-hearted. And right now, we are just all over the place in terms of, of I don't, there's no heart at all in a lot of places. Like, it, it's, um, everybody disagrees on 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 all of these things and it, it, I, I don't know how we roll that back without everybody taking a deep breath saying that the stakeholders that exist here are our children are our families is the community at large it's the state um it, 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 it's it's educators you know like we, we, everybody has you know some some stake in in successfully um, having people move through our education system. Um, and if, if we don't start to look at 
what are the areas that um, that we agree on, um, you know, then take the areas that we disagree on um, and, and find ways to bridge, the, you know, those gaps, then, you know, I, then I'm terrified for, you know, what ultimately, you know, becomes of things. I, I, it's, we, we, we can't, there won't, there won't, there won't be a future that we can necessarily imagine. I really believe that, you know, civil society can fall apart like that bad. And that's not hyperbole. Like it could all fall apart if we don't start producing um, human beings that walk out of school um, and can get along with the people in the zip code over there um, because the, the the kids in the zip code over there have been taught completely differently than the ones in the zip code over there. And they don't understand each other and, and they can't you know work together. So putting together methods I'm, I'm actually on a on a what a group email now of a, of, a, of a greenberg is one of the weirdest places in the whole entire world like we, we have like greenberg where where i live which is like kind of the core fairview um greenberg but then it's like an un, unincorporated part of greenberg which is all these other towns that are around it um and i'm on this this uh, group text with the, with all of the other um folks who who many of them are on the boards and in some of the other places and as part of that group text we're talking like what's going on in your school and what, what's going on in in, in in, in your school and, and we're asking each other questions of, about hmm that's interesting mm, that doesn't necessarily make you know a whole bunch of sense to me um and and, and it's little conversations like that have to happen across this entire world you know what I mean forget the country because you know it's, it's a global society that we live in now and and some of the technologies that are on their way things where where you put a little this in your ear and 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 I'm talking in English and he's talking in Swahili and we can understand each other and not just understand the words that are coming we understand all the inflections and things to that effect but if we can't take a deep breath and 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 some of the cultural differences be like, oh, that's weird. And, and you know what I mean? Turn it without turning up our nose. If we can't do that, you know, we're, we're going to be screwed. So um, I'm, I'm going to continue to try to, you know, navigate the story, get better at telling it, get, get make it something that's attractive to people say, say, you know, Hey, that, that, that makes a little sense. Let me hear a little bit more about that. Um, and then as I learn more, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll come up with an even better answer. Um, but, but for the time being, it's, it's, it's all of us recognizing that, that if we don't start to, to find a way to do this thing together, um, it's going to fall apart for all of us. And, uh, and I don't think any of us want to live in a world where, um, you know, where, where it's all falling apart. So uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, begins to answer your question. No, and, it and it's not try. Don't do it. It's not try. You have to do it, and it does, and it goes back to that part we talked about, like what's what's at stake when the critical thinking goes awry, right? Like casualty, death. Like if we aren't open minded and critically thinking and moving with our hearts towards each other, right? Like the only way we're going to end up, just like you said, is in shambles. And how many times and how many different ways do we have to say that out loud? Like that it's going to go left if y'all don't pull it together. And it won't be because a teacher didn't do something because I didn't give this test or because the kid didn't show up. It won't be on us. Right. Like it is. It is we are a cog in, in, in the system. And like all of these things have to be working in concert for us all to do well. And I. And if no other thing is going to do well, the thing that the kids have need to go well. Like, if we ain't doing nothing else, we need to be taking care of the children. What's wrong with you people? We need to fix the stuff for the kids. If we don't do nothing else, take care of the kids then, because that's what y'all say. Y'all say it's all for the kids. That's what y'all say it. That's what y'all say it. But we still over here going through it. 
<laughs> so like I I just I, I think that was a, a really that's a great answer and I, I'm with you. I, I just I'm not even gonna hope that they get it together. They're gonna have to get it together, and it's only gonna be so many um you know pre service summer trainings before all of the teachers decide to stand up. We gonna have our revolution. Y'all not gonna be ready, but they better get ready because it's coming. Because we're coming. at our breaking point. It's coming. It's going to happen. It's not an if. It's just gonna be a when and how and who gonna who gonna uh who gonna put the battery in who back first. But all this, all the things we're, we've been whispering to each other for years have, are starting to come out. And I, I'm just, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for you saying, I want to be able to tell a, a real version of the story, right? I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the things as a school board person, but I'm willing to learn from the people who are living it. So then in turn, I can tell that, I can amplify that true story, right? Like I can get you to where we need it to be. And that, that is something that we don't hear a lot from policymakers, right, from gatekeepers. And that's something we definitely need to be hearing from gatekeepers on all levels. And that's definitely something teachers need to be thinking and saying to kids is like, because teachers are gatekeepers. And there's no way you are going to be able to do that well when you aren't aware of self and you aren't moving with your heart, right? And like, and a little bit of that too, I know the three of us are like-hearted, but um, some people need to work on what's in their heart too. That's for another. That's another podcast. That's a self work journey. We are gonna let the universe handle. <laughs> I, I'm here for it. So, if you enjoyed the last one hour and eleven minutes as much as I enjoyed the last one minute and eleven hour, what? One hour and eleven minutes. <laughs> I'm going to need you to share this with somebody and share it with somebody else and then have them share it with five other people because I'm putting batteries in people's backs. Revolution, let's go line up. Let's get it done. That's that's what Black on Black Education is for. That's what this podcast is for. That's what these conversations are for. And so if folks want to put a, get a battery put in their back by Tiffany Jackson, please let folks know where they can reach out to you. And then this was another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. Uh, they can reach me on Instagram at Miss Jackson's Magic M A G I C. Um, don't look too hard at the uh, at the feed. Just DM me and get to me in 3D. I do much better in 3D. <laughs> and um, it also, um, you are if you are have you if you have done anything as it relates to Black Girls Teach, you can go over to at Black Girls Teach. If you have done any of our courses, um, any of our workshops, our retreats, you're walking in my work, right? Like that's my work with Deidre that we've been doing for the last five years. And if you're in DC, right, hit me up. Oh, and today is um, May the 20th. It's Natives Day in DC, DC Natives Day. That's a holiday. One of my high school friends got a holiday to celebrate the natives in our city, people who are from here living here, born here, raised here, still here. So shout out to all my DC folks. Happy Natives Day. I love it. I love it. I love it. I cannot thank you enough. We would be here for another hour and 13 minutes. But thank you for listening to another episode of the Black on Black Education Podcast. Peace, peace.